Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hi, everyone, and welcome to My Millennium Money Professional. My name's Dev Raga, and I'm your host. And in this episode, we will go through the concepts you need to understand when it comes to private health insurance. I'll also talk a little bit about Medicare and how the health system is actually funded. I think it's relevant because I think a lot of people that are in healthcare and also in other professions don't actually realize how a healthcare system works. And I'll try and tie that together with public hospitals and also the private health insurance system. And of course, there's a special Devraga rant. If you want me to discuss a specific topic or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. And if you want to be a guest on the show, don't hesitate to reach out as well because I'm always looking for people for my Money Win series where you can share your tips and tricks so that everyone can benefit from your tips and tricks. For those of you that are new to the channel, remember the three main aims, education, empowerment and entertainment. So what is private health insurance? In Australia, we have what we think is universal healthcare, but we actually don't have universal healthcare. What we do have is universal public hospital care, but we really don't have a universal outpatient care system. In other words, we have a universal health insurance scheme, but we don't have a universal health system. Now, in the health system budget, we have the state budgets, which covers the state health systems like public hospitals. The Medicare system, on the other hand, is not state-funded. It's more of a federal public insurance scheme. So the Medicare system is run by the feds. So if you attend a local hospital, which is public, the funding is not federal. It comes from the state coffers. If you attend your general practitioner or non-GP specialist for a consultation and get a Medicare rebate, that rebate is not from the state system, but it's actually from the federal Medicare scheme. Now, where does private health insurance fit in all of this? It's when you seek healthcare in a completely private health system. And that healthcare can be a procedure in the private hospital or any allied healthcare outside of the public health system, or even just a non-procedural care in a private hospital system. Now, the only specialty which doesn't have a public option is our general practice colleagues. If you need to see a GP specialist, unfortunately, in Australia, it is considered outpatient care and therefore there isn't a public outpatient service which covers GP specialists. That is, the state system won't cover you. So you will need to see a GP specialist and pay privately and get rebated through the federally funded Medicare rebate system. Now, it all sounds really complex. I'm going to break all this down because I think it's really important that everyone understands this. And a lot of healthcare workers don't understand this, including a lot of doctors. 
So where does the whole bulk billing thing come into play? We've heard about this in the media. A lot of people have asked me this question. A lot of my patients also attend emergency services because their GP specialists or non-GP specialists don't bulk bill their consult. So what does that mean? Now, basically what it means is when a doctor chooses to bulk bill you, it means they're accepting your rebate as the complete fee for their service. This is where it gets a little bit confusing, so bear with me, because many patients think the doctor's wage comes directly from Medicare. It doesn't. Medicare has nothing to do with the doctor's wage. That is, when you see your GP specialist, they charge for their time, similar to a tradesperson charging for their time, similar to an accountant charging for their time, similar to a lawyer charging for their time. And the Medicare rebate is the patient's rebate, which is returned to them. So if you're the patient, that is your rebate. It is not an expectation that a doctor bulk bills a patient, but a lot of doctors do, especially for children, people in financial hardships, elderly patients, people with healthcare cards and low-income families. They do choose to bulk bill them and people who need to see their doctor regularly, particularly those patients that have significant chronic health disease burden. Now, GP specialists and non-GP specialists can choose to bulk bill or can choose to privately bill their patients. It is up to the individual doctor, just like it's up to the individual tradesperson, individual lawyer, individual accountant. They can bill whatever they want. And because being a doctor is like any other skill set, it's similar to a trade skill. So is healthcare becoming more expensive in Australia? 2022 saw a massive inflationary pressure on the budgets, federal, state and personal finance budgets of household families in Australia. Workforce shortages and border closures due to COVID has meant that there's less doctors and nurses and healthcare workers to go around and therefore there's less people coming into the country to work in these professions. So migration has dropped over the last three years. The cost of everything else to run practices, for example, has gone up. Labour costs, utilities, rents, consumables, etc., etc. So naturally, these pressures mean that these costs have to be passed on. And sometimes they're passed on to you, the patient. Now, I left private practice for this exact reason. The margins are simply not there for most practices, especially general practices. So it's a bit like asking a plumber or a lawyer or an accountant to bulk bill you because, you know your fees are too expensive or your shower is leaking or you need to do your taxes. There's no such thing. Compound to this problem is 10 years of Medicare rebate freeze. That is, your Medicare rebate, the patient's rebate, has been frozen for about 10 years. So it doesn't go up with inflation. The first time that ever went up was the 1st of July, 2022, by about 1.6 to 1.7%. Compare that to the inflationary pressures we've had even in 2022, or over the last 10 years. So the Medicare rebate just hasn't kept up with inflation. And I think this is on purpose by the federal government. They want to make sure you pay more for your healthcare. Rather than calling it a tax, they've done this the sneaky way, by freezing the rebate. And this means as costs rise over the years and rebates are still frozen, the gap fees across the board for GP specialists and non-GP specialists, and of course, allied health professionals, rises. And guess who pays that gap fee? 
you, the consumer, the patient. Now, before we sort of go on to the whole, okay, well, what about all the people that refuse to get COVID vaccinated? And if we had all the nurses, you know, were able to work, the unvaccinated, maybe all of these healthcare labour workforce shortages may be solved. That's just bullshit. To give you an example, at Melbourne Health, which is Royal Melbourne Hospital, which has about 11,000 employees across the board, less than 100 have refused to get vaccinated. So bringing those 100 people back is not going to solve the workforce shortage issues. So don't believe all the rubbish that's on the internet. Now let's use an example to highlight this concept of inflationary pressures and Medicare rebate freeze. Let's assume it's 2013. Amy is 41 years old and attends her local GP practice. She needs a preventative health check, perhaps some risk factor bloods, and also discuss some preventative care. The cost of the consult is $55 in 2013. Now let's assume the Medicare rebate is around $36. Now these numbers are made up just to highlight the principles. You need to go and look up the actual rebates, but it's roughly the same. Therefore, the gap for Amy's consult is $55 minus $36. That is $19. Now, Amy is not allowed to just pay $19. She has to pay the whole $55 and then the rebate gets deposited into a bank account, which I think is stupid. I think Amy's doctor should be able to just charge her the difference of $19 and that way Amy gets the healthcare that she needs at the cheapest option that she can afford, rather than having to fork out the entire $55 upfront. But that's another debate we can have. In fact, in 2013, it was the then Labor government, the federal government, who decided to introduce the rebate freeze. A lot of people associate this Medicare rebate freeze with the Liberal government, but it was actually started by the Labor government, the current in-power government. Nine years later, Amy is now 55 years old, She now also attends the same GP practice for the same preventative bloods and preventative healthcare. This time, it's 2022. The economic environment is much different. She needs some basic bloods done and again, some preventative healthcare and perhaps grab her usual scripts. Unfortunately, the Medicare rebate has been frozen since 2013. Now the consult fees due to the cost pressures of running a GP practice or any healthcare business is $85 per consult. Now the rebate is still 36 bucks because of the rebate freeze. Notice the gap for Amy goes from $19 to $49. That's a $30 difference compared to 2013. Now multiply this concept across the board all over Australia with our GP colleagues, non-GP specialists. That's the problem. Now, here's a cheeky government trap. Notice now Amy has to pay $49 more for her healthcare than just nine years ago. This way, the Medicare budget doesn't actually increase, but your out-of-pocket costs increase. This means it's a nice little way the governments, successive governments, both Liberal and Labor, have introduced an extra healthcare tax on patients without actually calling it a tax. Now, so far, we've just talked about outpatient care in the general practice setting or non-GP setting. But Medicare rebates have also been frozen for all of the services like pathology, radiology, non-GP specialists like surgeons, anaesthetics, physicians. Therefore, this is why gaps in patient health care are larger across the board. And when you read articles like this that charges are getting higher and higher, it's true. It's because of this simple phenomenon that's built up 
over the last 10 years. And of course, in 2022, it came to a boiling point. So what about this thing called the bulk billing incentive? We hear about this a lot. There is a small incentive in Australia to bulk bill patients, but that incentive is ridiculously low. Sometimes $6 per consult. Essentially, if a doctor bulk bills someone, they would have to do it at cost price. Now, it's all fun and games to ask healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, allied health professionals to work for free. But I can't think of any other profession who would work for free for any amount of time. You can't ask your lawyer to work for free. You can't ask your accountant to work for free. You can't ask your builder to work for free. I don't understand why we ask healthcare workers to work for free. And this happens a lot in the public hospital system. Nurses, junior doctors are expected to work beyond their hours for free. In fact, I can think of a couple of healthcare networks that are currently being sued for class action lawsuits by junior doctors. Again, getting paid for the work that you do is not a ridiculous ask. Healthcare workers are not asking to be paid more for the work that they're doing. They just want to be paid for the work that they're doing. And I don't think it's unreasonable. So what's this concept about healthcare being a sacred profession? I think that's a semantics. I think it's an emotional ploy. Being a healthcare worker, whether you're a doctor, nurse, receptionist, whatever, in my opinion, it's a noble profession, but it's a profession. It's a profession where you trade your income for time or time for income and you get paid and that helps you live a life. I don't think that I should be obliged to work for free just because I'm a doctor. And if you think I should work for free because I'm a doctor, I think that's unfair. Healthcare workers have family, we have friends, we have children, we have parents, uncles and aunts that we need to support. We also have bills to pay. My bank doesn't give me a free pass because I'm a doctor. My internet is not free just because I'm a doctor. My car insurance is not significantly cheaper because I'm a healthcare worker. So I think these are important things that we all need to understand. And hopefully that gives you a little bit of perspective about the Medicare system, the state system, the Medicare rebate system, and the private system, which we'll sort of talk about a bit later in the episode. So out of all of this, how does this tie into the private healthcare system? Now, private health insurance is useful for either hospital care or extras care. Extras are like dentists, pharmacy, allied health like physio, OT, etc. Now, out of the private health insurance, let's break down the main concepts because I think that's relatively important. There are various product tiers in terms of private health insurance packages. There's gold, silver, bronze, and basic. And within that, there's various clinical categories such as back and neck, spine, joint replacements, cataracts, chemotherapy, etc., etc., Now, if you go to privatehealth.gov.au, which we'll link in the show notes, that has a full list of clinical categories. Now, from an extras perspective, there's also various coverage categories like podiatry, pharmacy, physio, dental, psychology, etc., etc. You need to always get private health insurance from one of the registered health insurers. You can't just randomly get it for people that are not registered, which is regulated by the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority, which is APRA, A-P-R-A, not the Australian Health Practitioners Regulation Authority, which is APRA, which is A-H-P-R-A. Now, in terms of waiting periods, this is relatively important. 
There is a base waiting period that you may need to serve for some procedures in private hospitals or some conditions. And there's also out-of-pocket expenses in private health insurance. Now, we'll cover this in detail after the break. But remember, practitioners that work in the private healthcare system are sole traders. They're running their own business. That's their own independent income stream, just like an accountant or a lawyer. So they're entitled to charge what they think their expertise is worth. A lot of the time, these doctors have trained for over 10, if not 15, 20 years to get to where they are. Now, in terms of premiums, this is what you need to pay every month to keep your insurance alive. This is similar to any other type of insurance premium, such as car insurance premium or home insurance premium or building and contents insurance premium. Remember, when you buy insurance, you're transferring your risk to the person that's providing insurance for you. And for that privilege, you pay a premium. Now, there's also plenty to cover in terms of other concepts, but in addition to these basic ones, we need to also learn about the private health insurance rebate, the lifetime health cover loading, the Medicare levy and Medicare levy surcharge. This comes up a lot on online forums, so I'll break it down for you. And the age-based discount. So there's a lot to cover when it comes to private health insurance. So now that we've sort of briefly touched on it, I'm going to break each of these concepts down. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's go through each of these concepts step by step. And I know many people listening are doctors and perhaps I'm preaching to the choir here, but we have a large proportion who are other types of healthcare workers like nurses and allied healthcare workers, And we also have a growing population of non-healthcare workers and non-doctors who I think will benefit from the breakdown of these concepts. So when we come back, we're going to attack every little thing meticulously. And hopefully by the end of the episode, you'll have a complete picture about private health insurance. And then of course, at the end, I'll give you my take on it. Be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Now, welcome back. So the first thing is, what is this private health insurance rebate? This is when people who get private health insurance coverage 
hospital cover especially, they get a rebate on their premiums. A rebate meaning a discount or some of their money back into their pocket. Now, the scheme was introduced to incentivize people to take private health insurance such that they will get their treatment in a private hospital, thereby reducing, in quotations, the pressure on the public system. That was the original intent by allowing people to have these rebates. Essentially, it's a subsidy or welfare, which I know it's a controversial term, to encourage people to get private health insurance. The rebate is income means tested, so not everyone gets it. Here's a breakdown of who gets the rebate. There are four tiers, ranging from base tier to tier four. And each tier has an income range for singles and families. So if you're a single person with an income of less than $90,000 or a family with an income of less than $180,000, you're on a base tier, which receives the highest rebate. Then you have to factor in your age. So if you're less than 65 years, you get a rebate of 24.608% rebate. If you're 65 to 70 years of age, you get 28.71% rebate. And if you're greater than 70 years of age, you get a 32.812% rebate. All of this information is online on that website that I talked about, privatehealth.gov.au. Now, the next tier is tier one, which is singles who earn ninety dollars to $105,000 and families who earn $181,000 to $210,000. And therefore, each tier then goes up in income. And the highest tier is anyone earning $141,000 as a single or more, and as a family earning more than $280,000. And of course, the highest tier earners don't get any rebate at all. Now, what about single parents and de facto couples? Does it sort of change these things? They're still subject to the tier incomes. If you have children as a family, then each child increases your tier income by $1,500, which isn't very much. And each year, the tier incomes are indexed to inflation. These numbers are accurate until June 2023. To work out your rebate, there's actually an ATO calculator, which you can use online, which is pretty useful. I've sort of played around with it myself. It's actually quite useful. And once you're eligible, the easiest way to claim it is automatically through your private health insurance company, where they reduce your premiums by the rebate. Each year, when you file your tax return then, these rebates are auto-calculated and your tax situation is sorted out mostly automatically. So even if you select the wrong tier, it kind of doesn't matter, particularly when you're purchasing health insurance, but be prepared to pay more tax if you do so, especially selecting the lower tier, but you're actually on the higher tier. And this affects a lot of healthcare workers who do shift work, who have variable incomes and don't work out their penalties or extra shifts they may be doing. So they end up earning more income than they're actually getting. And as a result, they've selected the wrong tier when they've purchased a private health insurance policy. It's okay because at the end of the year, everything gets reconciled and consolidated and you may have to pay a little bit more tax when you do your tax returns. Now, the other concept to understand is lifetime health cover loading. This was actually started in the 1st of July 2000. Again, insurance, remember, is a risk pool. So when you get insurance, they pull your risk along with others who may or may not have higher or lower risk, and you're transferring your risk to that pool. So the more younger people who join private health insurance schemes, the better, because younger people are unlikely to claim insurance. So the overall risk is lower for claims for the insurance companies. And this tends to make private health insurance more affordable for everyone. Now, this is only for hospital cover and not for extras. And basically, you need to take your private health insurance before the 1st of July following your 31st birthday in order to avoid the lifetime health cover loading. And that's really important to understand. 
and that's called the Lifetime Health Cover Base Day. So let's use an example to highlight this principle, the lifetime health cover loading. Amy is a nurse and turned 31 in January 2022. So a lifetime health cover base day is the 1st of July 2022. If she doesn't have any private health insurance on this date or beyond, she will need to pay 2% extra for her premiums per year. Is there a maximum loading then for a lifetime health cover loading? And actually there is. Basically, after 10 years of paying lifetime health cover loading, there are no further increases in premiums or loading increases. And is there any exceptions to this rule? It gets a little bit complicated, but overall, yes, there are exceptions. You can have private health insurance after your lifetime loading base date, then not be eligible to pay that loading, and you're allowed to have some gaps in your cover and not be affected by the loading. And these include suspension of cover, being overseas for various reasons, usually work purposes, or days of absence or gaps in cover. Depends on the private health insurance. Uh, You need to actually look up the guidelines. It's a little bit too finicky to go through that in a podcast episode. Now, the next best topic is Medicare levy and Medicare levy surcharge. This is really important. Now, the Medicare levy and Medicare levy surcharge are two different concepts. The Medicare levy is something that we all have to pay to support our wonderful public health system. It's 2% of your taxable income, not your gross income. This is often mistakenly stated online on Facebook forums, etc. It's 2% of your taxable income. And they call this a levy, but it's basically an extra tax in addition to the stealth tax we all talked about called the Medicare rebate freeze. And I've discussed this already and I want to go on a rant again. And the Medicare levy surcharge, on the other hand, is an additional levy that taxpayers need to pay if they don't have private health insurance with a registered insurance provider and have an income above a certain threshold. So if you're a high income earner, you kind of expected to get private health insurance, you'll get you some rebates. But if you don't do that, you'll have to pay the Medicare levy surcharge. Now, when you get private health insurance to avoid this Medicare levy surcharge business, It's only for hospital cover. So if you just get extras cover, you still have to pay the surcharge because you have to get a hospital cover in order to avoid this Medicare levy surcharge. Whereas the Medicare levy, we all have to pay. Doesn't matter. Now, when it comes to the surcharge, there are two tiers. One is 1% and the other one is 1.5%. Now, this is again, in addition to the 2% Medicare levy, which we all have to pay. So if you include the surcharge, you're looking at about 3 to 3.5% in extra taxes to support the public health system. And the tiers are, if you're single, it's less than 90000 If you're a family, it's less than 180000 And then it becomes a percent for singles of ninety to 105000 And families of 180 to 210000 1.25% for singles of 105 to 140000 And families of 210 to 280000 and 1.5% for singles greater than 140000 or if you're a family earning greater than $280,000. Now, if you're a family earning less than 180000 you don't have to pay any Medicare surcharge. Again, if you're a single parent or de facto couple, the same rules apply as for rebates, and every child increases the income tiers by $1,500. Now, here's the thing. When shopping around for private health insurance, please don't get cover just to avoid paying the surcharge. Research and history shows some of those covers are absolute rubbish. I know, because I see patients with them, and it doesn't cover them for much. Now, if you have car insurance and building insurance and life insurance, 
then it makes sense to invest in health insurance. Remember, the aim of health insurance, you're not going to make any money out of it. You'll lose money on it. But it protects your most valuable asset, your health. Now, the other concept is age-based discount. What is it? This is a relatively new concept and was only introduced in 2019. Basically, the government wants younger people to take out private health insurance, again, promoting it and diluting that risk pool. And if you're aged 18 to 29, they can get discounts of up to 10% of their premiums, which is consistent, until their age of 41 years old. Then it gradually gets phased. I didn't get this during those years when I was younger, so I think it's a pretty good deal. The actual discount is around 2% per year, younger than 30 years of age, and a maximum of 10%. This doesn't apply if you're already considered a dependent and you're already receiving your cover as part of your family. The phasing out of this discount after the age of 41 is actually 2% per year. So essentially, if you get private health insurance at the age of 18 years of age, you're likely to get some sort of age-based discount until the age of 45 or 46, technically. It's not a bad deal. You can save that discount and invest it and potentially be ahead in life. But of course, like all things in investment, risks supply as always. Now that we've covered the overarching principles, let's actually break down the insurance side of things. What are the product tiers around for private health insurance? Now, private health insurance was a minefield before 2019, but since April 2020, they've introduced tiers to standardise the policies as much as possible. There are four tiers, basic, bronze, silver, and gold. Private health insurance has multiple clinical categories, as I discussed earlier, such as rehab and brain nervous system, eye, not cataracts, tonsils, adenoids, grommets, bone, joint muscle, digestive system. There's actually like 40 categories which you can research on. Weight loss surgery, insulin pumps, pain management with devices. So if you select a gold tier, then it must cover all of the categories. If you select silver insurance, it must cover all of it except for rehab, palliative care, hospital psych services, cataracts, joint replacements, weight loss surgery. And it makes it easier for you to decide what you want to get covered for. And the reason why these tiers were introduced is to allow consumers to easily compare between various private health insurance providers. They have to abide by these basic definitions of clinical categories and coverage. It just makes it a lot easier. Now, at this stage, our American listeners are wondering why private health insurance is so much simpler in Australia when compared to the United States, where individual insurers, jurisdictions, geographical locations, insurances, which are covered within your employment package, can have a myriad of options and restrictions, and it's really up to the individual to make sure they get the right cover, and there doesn't seem to be any minimum requirements, and it could even be state-based too. It's insanely complex. Now, similar to these, in terms of hospital policies, back to Australia here, there's an extras component which covers general treatments ranging from dental, pharmacy, acupuncture, physiotherapy, podiatry. That's totally separate. And they have gold, silver and bronze packages too. So you can just get hospital cover if you want to when it comes to private health insurance, or you can just get extras cover, or you can get both to get total cover. Now, I've got total cover for myself and my family. The next concept is waiting periods. Waiting periods were introduced because it protects the private health insurance company, so you can't just join today and claim tomorrow. Ironically, you can do that with car insurance, which is interesting. I do wonder if waiting periods will come to other forms of insurance, which we've already had them in income protection, for example. So why can't we have them in building or contents or car insurance? I hope it doesn't come, but I reckon it will. The main aim of this feature is to ensure the premiums are protected and somewhat affordable to people. 
Otherwise, you can imagine premiums will rise for everyone. Again, United States is a classic example of which premiums just keep rising insanely there. Now, Australia is a lot cheaper, and it's still pretty expensive here, though, for the average person to get private health insurance. I think I did a bit of a recent um, calculation to get a gold package for a family in 2023, which covers everything, is around $6,000 to $9,000 per year, which is expensive for Australian standards, as we're not used to paying for healthcare in general, particularly those exorbitant costs. North America, different story. The standard waiting periods here are pre-existing conditions around 12 months, pregnancy and obstetrics around 12 months. Um, and I think this is when a child is born and not when you actually become pregnant. But you need to check with your private health insurance provider on this particular topic. Two months for psychiatric care, rehab, power care, including all pre-existing conditions and two months for everything else. For extras, it's anywhere between two months to 12 months waiting periods, depending on what condition you're claiming for. Now the out-of-pocket expenses. This is where it can get a bit confusing. Again, we're not talking about Medicare here. We're talking about private health insurance. Just because you have private health insurance and go see a particular doctor and have a particular procedure doesn't mean that everything of that procedure will be covered by the private health insurance agency. So you may need to fess up some out-of-pocket expenses. Remember, private health insurance is only for hospital admission and does not cover for outpatient care. And this includes the emergency department. In fact, if you go to a lot of private hospitals that have private emergency departments, there is an upfront fee associated with that. This means when you see a surgeon for consult, for example, for your hernia, that consult is not covered by the private health insurance scheme. And this is on purpose, again, to protect the rise of in premiums to insane amounts. Remember, you're still somewhat reimbursed for the cost of that consult with the Medicare rebate. But with rebate freezes, of course, that's another out-of-pocket or gap fees, which are also increasing. To best explain this, it's probably useful to use some examples. So here we go. Amy is an engineer, single, and is age 41 years age. She attends her local GP practice because she's found a breast lump. She does not have a healthcare card or low-income card holder. The fee for that consult is $80. The Medicare rebate is $35. Again, these numbers are estimates to highlight a point, so you need to do your own research about the exact numbers. Therefore, for the GP consult, her out-of-pocket expenses is $55. The GP then refers her for some scans, mammograms or ultrasound, for example. Now, some of these scans are bulk billed at some radiology practices, but moving forward, most don't. Suppose the total cost for these scans are $200 and the rebate is only $80, again, rebate freeze, her out-of-pocket costs are $120 just to get those scans done. Now, including her GP out-of-pocket expenses, the total cost is $55 plus around $80 for her radiology costs. She then attends her GP follow-up because she gets the scans done, then she's got to go back and see the GP for the results. And unfortunately, the scan shows something very suspicious and malignancy. In some cases, for return visits, the GP does not charge another private fee. But it depends on the doctor. It depends which practice. depends on their policy. Return visits, from a practice point of view, they cost the similar amount of money to provide care. It's not any cheaper for the practice to provide a return visit. But let's say in this case, a GP specialist bulk bills her return visit and therefore the out-of-pocket expenses is now zero for that return visit. So the total out-of-pocket costs are about $135. Then the GP refers Amy to a breast specialist surgeon. That consult charge is around $200. Rebate, let's say, is around $60. Again, numbers are all made up. You need to look up your numbers. 
So therefore, the out-of-pocket expenses for Amy to see that surgeon is $140. Notice things start to add up now. So the total out-of-pocket cost for Amy for her breast lump care so far without surgery is $135 plus $140, which is around $275. If Amy doesn't have private health insurance, the GP may have chosen to refer her to a public hospital outpatient department clinic to see the breast team. But it means she may get a registrar or a resident, supported by a senior consultant. It may mean that she doesn't get a choice of a surgeon. It may mean that she doesn't get choice of a hospital, as often it's the local public hospital. And she can't really negotiate a date or time for an appointment. You just get given a date or time. And the waiting times can be up to 30 days for something urgent, like a solid breast lump, with suspicious features or sometimes more. If Amy does have private health insurance, she chooses to go and see a surgeon privately, like before, and pays the out-of-pocket expense of $140 for the consult. If Amy doesn't have private health insurance, she can still see the surgeon privately and pay the consult fee and get put on the public operating list provided the surgeon works in the public system. That's still a possibility and allows people to, quote-unquote, skip the initial waiting time. In fact, I do this quite a lot for some of my patients who don't have private health insurance because it's easier to see the surgeon privately. Now, I'm using surgery as an example, and if you're a surgeon, please don't take it personally. I'm not pinpointing these expenses just because in surgical fields, there are additional expenses, but it's a nice little example because it's a procedural specialty, but you can apply the same principle for any specialty. Depending on the specialty, the wait times are longer in the public system. Orthopedics for joints, for example, you can wait to see a surgeon for up to six to 12 months. Same with ophthalmology or with dermatology, it can be up to two years in a public health system to see a doctor. So it's not ideal, but that's the system we have. It protects those who are most vulnerable, but remember, the public hospital system does not take into your specific needs, does not take into your morbidity, does not take your suffering. I've said this before, and it sounds a bit brutal, but I'll say it again. Pain doesn't kill anyone, but conditions like cancer, strokes, heart attacks, So back to our example of Amy trying to navigate the private health insurance system for a breast lump. She gets to seen by the surgeon. The biopsy is organised. Usually it's a core biopsy. This is another scan and another procedure done by another radiologist. And there is likely a fee for this, let's say around $300 with a rebate of $60. So out-of-pocket is around $240. Now the total out-of-pocket expense starting from the GP is $515. Then she gets booked for theatre, and this happens pretty quickly, within a week of getting a diagnosis, usually, which is fantastic. The surgeon fees are discussed up front, which is around $1,500 for a procedure like this, and she may get only some of that back, say $500 from the private health insurance, so she has to pay out-of-pocket expenses of about 1000 bucks for the procedure. Then there's anaesthetics. They discuss their fees. This could be up to $500, and Amy only gets back about $150 for the procedure, So out-of-pocket expenses for the anaesthetist are $350. Then she has to pay the excess fees for a private health insurance, which is around $500, let's say, so she pays that as well. Now, some hospitals may, in addition, charge what's called a copay, as they're not part of the network supported by the private health insurance, which is usually nominal, like $30 to $50 a day. So now let's break down the total out-of-pocket expenses for Amy for navigating the private health insurance system. GP. $55, $55, no private, no public options, so she has to pay that. Initial scans, out-of-pocket of 120 
initial surgeon consult fee, out-of-pocket 140 biopsy fees, out-of-pocket 240 private health insurance excess fees, out-of-pocket 500 copay fees, let's say zero for this case, surgeon operating fees, out-of-pocket 1000 and anaesthetic operating fees, out-of-pocket 350 The total cost for Amy now is $2,405 for a full treatment, if everything goes well. Now, Amy can still elect to just do it all through the public system, which is free at the point of care. In that case, the only cost she would have been is $55 in GP fees and perhaps $120 radiology initial scan fees, which is out of pocket. So the total cost is only $175. Everything after that is free at the point of service in a public hospital system because the GP would have referred Amy to the public outpatient department. That's marvellous. But it's also very inconvenient. Amy is a functioning engineer that needs to get back to work. She can't afford to take too much time off work. And I think when you get private health insurance, it gives you that flexibility in accessing that care quicker. Now, within private health insurance, there's something called gap cover. Some surgeons and proceduralists like anaesthetics have no gap schemes with specific insurance providers, and Amy can ask about this during her initial consult. In fact, because she's got private health insurance, she can go to a surgeon or proceduralist that doesn't have a gap cover. If that is the case, the gap becomes zero. And if that was the case, Amy's total cost of care for her breast lump surgery in the private system may be as low as $1,000.55 for an episode of care. That's a 57% discount or saving for her. So you can log into any health insurance provider and find out which surgeon or anaesthetics or proceduralist or doctor has no gap fees. You'll find that plenty do and plenty don't. So this provides you with a choice. Now, let's dig a little bit deeper into the whole fee thing, because how does Medicare rebate work in the private system? When Amy's surgeon charges $1,500 for the surgery, the Medicare rebate attached to them might only be around 400 bucks, and a private health insurance may only pay an additional $100 on top of that. So the total rebate is around $500 for the procedure. And that's where the gap fee comes in, because the surgeon charges $1,500. So the gap is $1,500 minus $500, which is $1,000 for her surgery. And the same goes for anaesthetics. So usually it's wise before any procedure to ask for the MBS item number, Medicare benefit schedule item number, and then check with your insurance provider to see how much gap it works out to be. Most surgeons and proceduralists in the private health system will offer you that information. If Amy's surgeon was part of the no gap scheme, then she may not be out of pocket at all for her surgeon's fees. But that doesn't mean that she's not out of pocket for the entire procedures because the anaesthetist might not be part of the no-gap scheme. Now, it's not compulsory for doctors to have no-gap schemes, but most doctors may choose to do this, especially for patients with significant diagnoses like cancer, people in financial hardship, but it's not compulsory and it's not expected. Now, there are some other intricacies like prosthetics, etc., because they have to be part of the prosthesis list, which is registered, and the hospitals need to be part of the agreement hospitals list. But that is way outside the scope of this episode. You may want to speak to your surgeon or proceduralist about any prosthetics that they may be using in your surgery. Now, is private health insurance becoming more and more expensive? Absolutely. This is because more new treatments are being made available. And it means more costs for those treatments. But there are some things that you can do to reduce your costs. Number one, your excess. If you have a higher excess and you think that you won't be claiming private health insurance as much, 
then that reduces your premiums. And most private health insurance companies have maximum excesses per year. Like if you pay it twice per year, then any future admissions in that calendar year doesn't warrant an excess. So if you're planning for surgery, it makes sense to do so earlier in the year. Number two is exclusions. Do you really always need gold tier coverage? Think about reducing your level of coverage if it means cheaper premiums. Different tiers for different stages of life. Number three is medical gap schemes. We've talked about that just before. I would always encourage my patients to look up their proceduralist and understand the costs. And I think if you just ask your proceduralist, they'd be more than happy to share and explain their fees. Gap fees are good ways to save money. Just because someone charges more gaps doesn't make them a better physician or surgeon. Ironically, I've had comments from patients who choose to see doctors who charge higher gaps because they perceive them to be better doctors or proceduralists. Now, the truth can be further from that superficial idea because our brains are wired to consider the more you pay for something, the better it is. Sometimes in healthcare, it might not be true. Number four, co-payment. Ensure you try and get treatment at agreement hospitals. Number five, take advantage of discounts. Health insurance companies are consistently looking for new customers, so sometimes it pays to switch, but be careful about coverage options. Number six is rate protection. If you pay 12 months in advance, similar to car insurance, you may get a discount. Some insurers actually provide this. Number seven is suspending your membership. Now, you can do so and still be okay. If you're travelling overseas, for example, for extended periods of time, where healthcare is a reciprocal right or you have overseas travel insurance, then it makes sense not to have any insurance back home in Australia. There are some companies that offer suspensions for up to six to 12 months without any penalisation. Number eight, learn about private health. Go to privatehealth.gov.au. And it has this link to this uh, great subsite called 10 Golden Rules of Private Health Insurance. Have a read. It's very insightful and we'll put it in the show notes as a link. Now, I hope this clarifies all the nitty gritties of private health insurance. But here's my final thoughts. I feel that healthcare is a human right. And I think we should strive for a society where money is not factored in to the provision of healthcare where possible. That is, we should always have a society that rich people and poor people and the middle class should get healthcare at the most affordable price and their richness or their poorness shouldn't determine their outcomes. But we have to accept that healthcare is not free. And I really hate it when people say this, free healthcare. Politicians especially say this all the time because it gets attention. It's a vote getter. Nothing is free in this world. Everything costs money. So when you attend a hospital and it's free healthcare, and that's what your politician wants you to believe... Trust me, it's not free. I do not work in hospital for free, nor do many of my colleagues who do wonderful work in the public health space and in the private health space. What they really mean is it's free at the point of care. The money is coming from somewhere, and that's you, the taxpayer. Healthcare workers are humans too. They have bills to pay. They have kids to raise. So don't ever attend a hospital or a GP specialist practice or non-GP specialist practice or allied health practice or a dental practice and feel entitled. It's not on. I don't have to be treated badly just because you're having a rough time. 
Empathy is really important, don't get me wrong, but sympathy can be dangerous. And entitlement is even more dangerous. Use it with some caution. And if you see a healthcare professional, you're paying for their years of training and expertise, not just for the time they spend with you. Just because someone spends more time with you doesn't mean they're providing you with better healthcare. And just because someone charges more doesn't mean they're better than others. When I get a tradesperson to come into my house and fix something, some of them take longer than others. But as long as the job's done, and it's done to the highest quality standards, and meets all guidelines and specifications, that's the most important thing. So the person that comes in and fixes your shower in five minutes doesn't mean they're doing a dodgy job. They're probably just good at it. They're experts at it. This is what they do day in, day out. And for that, they charge me a fee. Now, I think it's also important that we all understand the healthcare system. You and I, we contribute to it with our tax dollars. I'm in it. You may not be. But my mind boggles when some people don't know the basics. Some some of the healthcare workers that I've chatted to in the past don't know that the public hospital system in the state is not funded by Medicare, for example. That's basic. We all should know that. It's information which is out there. It's free. Just Google it, understand it, learn it, talk about it, discuss it. We need to make this information more accessible to people and we need to teach it particularly to our next generation. So, ask your school. Is healthcare system being taught in the Australian school curriculum? It's a vital part of our industry. It's a vital part of our economy. And lastly, is private health insurance worth it? That's a very common question that I get. And I think it's a very personal choice. For me, it's been worth it. I like it. It provides a bit of choice. So does all of this mean that if you have money in Australia, you get better health care? I have to be honest and say this. You may not get better health care, but if you have money in Australia, moving forward in 2023 and beyond, you will undeniably get faster health care. And that faster health care can often lead to better outcomes. It pains me to say this, but it's the truth. And if someone is saying otherwise, ask them to prove it. Our public health system is constantly under attack. Your public health system is constantly being under attack. Your Medicare is constantly being attacked. So your health system and your Medicare is yours to protect. Healthcare workers can't do this by ourselves. And if you allow your government to bid healthcare workers against each other, and most of all against you, the consumer, the patient, then you've lost the battle. So hold your MPs and politicians to account. And if any politician listening to this wants to discuss this further and you want to come on my show, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to get some feedback. But you've got to be prepared to face the music. That's about it for this episode. Remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you may be using. or leave a five-star review on all of the platforms. That's even better. And please leave a positive review. And on that note, I found this review on Apple Podcasts from Jade VT Food, who writes, Quadruple M, it used to be called My Millennial Money Medical, but now it's called My Millennial Money Professional. So I suspect when they left this feedback, it was still My Millennial Money Medical. So they used Quadruple M, is amazing. All of the podcasts are so valuable to me and my family. 
Since listening to the podcast, we've managed to pay ourselves 20% regardless the month up and down. We have a good solid knowledge and confidence to move our investment strategy from homeland to index funds, which by itself is a big mind shift. Every complex topic is well taught out and presented. Thank you, Devraga, for your time and kindness to share to the world. I would give a thousand stars if possible. That's a really lovely feedback. And here's how you can give a thousand stars by sharing this episode, sharing this channel and discussing the financial concepts and principles with your friends, with your family to improve their financial literacy. That's the way that I want this message to be spread. And I'm very much about the principles and concepts person, which is why I don't specifically talk about specific products. I don't talk about the current economic climate as much because I want people to come back in 50 years and I may or may not exist then. But my voice would exist. The principles would exist. The concepts would exist. And that's what it's all about. And of course, the more ratings and reviews you leave, the more people get access to the podcast. So please keep them coming. And thank you again, Jade VT Food via Apple Podcasts. My name's Dev Raga from My Millennium Money Professional. And until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.